Coming up, I'm going to talk to you about flow state. What is it and how you can get it, what it'll do for you, and then how much money do people think they need to be happy? We'll break that down and more. Let's go. All right, welcome to the Ken Coleman Show, where we help you win in your work life so that you're winning in other areas of your life. Simply put, we believe you were created to fill a unique role. You were needed, and you must do it. And we can help you figure out what that is. Sorry, right, let's talk about how to achieve a flow state. Well, what is a flow state? Uh, well, so a guy by the name of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi uh, did studies on this for for years and years and years, decades, and he, and he's. He's the guy that popularized uh, the idea of flow. A 10-year study by McKinsey found that flow state, when in this state of flow, executives were five times more productive. And that's not just true of executives. It's true of many of us. Most of you have no idea, though, what the flow state really feels like, looks like smells like, sounds like, and so therefore you couldn't know how to get into it if you don't know what it is and you're missing out. So we're going to fix that today. So I want to break down what is flow, what the state of flow is. So flow is a mental state that you are capable of reaching when you are completely immersed in a rewarding task activity. I want you to think of the zone, right? Uh, Michael Jordan used to famously talk about being in the zone. He'd get on a hot streak. The golfers talk about this as well, where everything is just, they're just, everything's just going right. Well, this is a form of flow for an athlete as well. In fact, it very much is flow. Uh, now, let me, let me explain how it feels, and, and then we'll continue to break this down. So for me personally, when I am uh, on this program, and and, and I'm on the the cameras are rolling, everything's being recorded. I'm live. I'm at a live event. Uh, maybe I'm coaching someone live in front of thousands of people. Uh, I'm on television, uh, and I'm being asked a question. I don't know what's coming my way, and I've got to give a sound bite in 30 seconds. That feels like ecstasy to me. It is a mental ecstasy. It is, I'm excited about it. I am wildly engaged in it. I mean, I have an ADHD guy off the charts, and I will tell you that I don't know where my keys are half the time. Uh, I've walked out of the studio before, left my cell phone in here, my computer. I mean, I'm a disaster. But you put me in a situation, watch this, folks, and this is my definition of flow for me, when I am having to perform under pressure, I am in a state of flow. So here are the hallmarks of true flow. It's a total lack of self-consciousness. You, you're not thinking your way through a task. You are instinctively just doing the task. You're not thinking about the performance. You are the performance. Enjoyment. You have to enjoy something to be completely immersed in it. How many of you think of something right now that you have to do at work and it sucks and you you think about it and you go, I don't want to do it. And then when I'm in the middle of it, I want to stop it. And instead of can't wait to get to it, I can't wait to get through it. 
And, 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 and we all have that stuff we have to do. It's called being an adult. So you got to have enjoyment. But then persistence. It helps you offset any frustrations and you step into the task fully and you're not worried about the frustrations. You've embraced the frustrations because you love it. So how then do we begin to put ourselves in a place to where we can trigger you, if you will, a flow state? So think about what we just talked about, tasks that are immersive. I'm completely immersed in it because I enjoy it. They're rewarding and they're challenging. That's what this is. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi said this. I pulled this up on my computer. He said, the best moments in our lives are not the passive, receptive, relaxing times. The best moments usually occur if a person's body or mind is stretched to its limits in a voluntary effort to accomplish something difficult and worthwhile. Did you catch that? That's the idea about challenging challenging but possible so the idea here is we want to stack our day with that type of work work that is challenging meaning i am challenged it's not easy it's challenging it's enjoyful. It is a joyful task. I, I am in a state of enjoyment, and I'm in a state of challenge at the same time. And so keep in mind, if it is difficult, challenging, but also rewarding, now we've got a chance to, to experience flow. Think about how, how soul-sucking, for some of you, your job is right now. For others, there are times in your professional career, and I've had it, where it's so soul-sucking because it's so boring and easy. If you're bored at work, I got news for you. You're not challenged at work. You know this. There's no effort. If you're bored, you aren't enjoying what you're doing. So boredom is a result of the lack of challenge and the lack of enjoyment. So let's talk about what I need to be challenged. Let's just kind of give you a, because I've kind of got my list and I'm going, okay, I need to be under pressure to perform. So that's speaking, creating, the creative part of the process of content, then delivering the content. Is it writing a blog? Is it coming up with show content? Is it writing a book? So so I need to be communicating, creating content. I need to be coaching someone where there's pressure again that they're not where they want to be and and I have to deliver for them some enlightenment and encouragement. That's pressure. I'm wired that way. Some of you are very process driven. I'm pressure driven. Performance driven. So if you're like me, you got to go, okay, I got to perform under pressure and I'm I'm at my best. Some of you go, I don't want a pressure situation. I like to be in the preparation side of things. And I'm at my best when I'm preparing. And I'm process-driven. Great. Whatever that is. But you need to be spending the majority of your day completely immersed in something that you're good at doing, something that challenges you, and something that is rewarding. Right? That's why I have the 
the process of teaching you talent, passion, mission. In other words, if you use what you do best, talent, to do work you love, passion, to produce results that matter to your mission, then I can tell you something. You're going to be immersed. It's going to be challenging because you want more. And it will be rewarding. So most commonly, this part right here going, okay, how do I find a role, a seat on a bus that allows me to do this? Well, you're going to have to look, and sometimes you're going to have to be patient to work your way up, to work your way up. So you got to go, okay, look, I'm not here now, but if I can get a role where I am using my talent and I am challenged, I may not have the most rewarding work, but it's rewarding enough because I'm challenged. So it doesn't have to be, you know, the most compelling work and compelling result, but what it needs to be is at least challenging enough and involving your talents to where you're challenged, but your talent will arise. You get the training, you get the experience, and now you can step through it. So I want you to be able to find a spot where you can lock into that flow state because that is where physically, mentally, and emotionally you are at your best. And, the, and it's not just those amazing benefits, but you're going to get promoted. You will be able to recreate this process. And the more you do this, find yourself in a state of flow because you've put yourself in a place where you can be in a state of flow. Everybody's going to see it. You're going to be rewarded. And as you keep getting rewarded because you're operating in a state of flow, watch this. You're able to then dictate and say, I want to do this. Here's where I want to do it. And because you've done such a great job, you get to dictate, hey, I'm going to do this. And people say, yes, we will pay you to do this. And now you are in control of your professional future. It starts with getting into a state of flow. What is that state? We're here to help. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Helping you win in your work life so that you can win in other areas of your life. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Thrilled that you're with us. Hey, if this show is helping you out, we would love for you to help us. If you're watching on YouTube, like the videos, subscribe to the channel, and share. If you're listening on your favorite podcast app, give us a follow and a five-star review. Okay, here we go. We got some interesting data out. Uh, can money buy happiness? What's your answer? I think it's a great country song by Chris Jansen that says, nobody can buy me a boat. <laughs> which is a great song by the way incidentally one of the fun things about being in nashville is you you run into people that you just you wouldn't run into anywhere else because there's all these great artists alex i haven't told you the story this is a little bonus and it's tied to the tied to the content okay uh so i i'm not going to say the guy's name i don't want to get into all this but i ran into at a halloween party three years ago and i say halloween party it was a house in our neighborhood where all, all the parents were invited to bring their kids by for about 20 minutes before they all hit the streets, and they were offering chili and snacks. And so it was kind of fun. So I showed up, and I'm on the back patio. Uh, Bob, you'll appreciate this. I'm on the back patio of Bill Hampton's house. And all the dads are out there, right? Because we're all like, man, we'd like to stay here. None of us want to hit the streets. You know, Halloween is, you know, like no dad really wants to do that, you know, unless your kid's four. In the first couple of years, it's really exciting. Am I right, Alex? Then they get to like 9, 10, or 11, you're like, oh, geez. Can we just let them go? I don't know if Nathan's there yet. He's got the youngsters. But anyway, Halloween's great. So we're on the back porch, 
and and we're doing the obligatory, hey, what's your name? What do you do? And I meet a guy who's a big time songwriter. And he co-wrote that song, Buy Me a Boat by Chris Jansen. Uh and the whole thing's about can money buy me happiness? And he basically says, No, it can buy me a boat, it can buy me a Yeti, you know, full of all this beer and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, they wrote this song in about ten minutes. There's a little interesting fact. Buy me a boat was written, Alex, in about ten minutes. They just got in a room. They were getting ready to sit down for a writing session. They weren't even trying to write anything. And somebody said something, somebody said the other, and they said that, and they just nailed it. And the thing goes on to be a massive hit. True story, 10 minutes. So there you go. Can money buy happiness? New data out from Harris Poll, one of the uh, very legitimate polling companies in the United States, came out with a poll in August. Now, this is interesting. They asked people, what do they think the key to financial happiness really is? 59% of respondents uh, said that they do believe happiness can be purchased. I tell you, I've purchased some things that have made me very happy. You know, I think there's something there. The average person, though, believes that it would take having $1.2 million in the bank to be truly financially happy. Now, these articles, they don't give you all the ins and outs of this. So is the $1.2 million in the old checking? Is it in your retirement account? This I don't know, but, but, but nonetheless, let's go deeper. What did people say about an annual salary that would make them happy? The average respondent thinks that they need $284,000 uh, each year to be happy. Now, let's break it down by generation. And so they asked each generation what you would need to earn annually and what your net worth would need to be to be happy. Gen Z uh, said they needed to make $128,000 a year to be happy. God bless them. These these kids are just starting out. And they go, I need $128,000 to be happy. And they, they need their net worth to be $487,711. I always laugh at these things. I usually round up, but it's like, where'd they come up with the $711? Does that mean that the $487,710 is not enough? You get my point. Millennials. What do millennials say they need to make to be happy every year? $525,000 with a net worth of $1.7 million. All right, millennials. Now, this is where it gets fascinating, I think. Gen X, my generation, they think that they only need to make $130,000 a year with a net worth of $1.2 million to be happy. What's going on with my generation? Anybody catch the sarcasm? Maybe my generation, because we're middle-aged now, we have a much more realistic view of what's going on in the world. How about the boomers? Oh, God love the boomers. Everybody makes fun of the boomers. It was my mom and dad. The boomer says they need to make $124,000 a year with a net worth of $1 million. A 2023 study co-authored by Nobel Prize recipient Daniel Kahneman found that happiness can, in fact, improve with higher earnings of up to $500,000 a year. Again, not really shocking. You know what this just says? that Look, the larger the income you have, 
theoretically, the more margin you have, the more freedom you have to be able to make the basic purchases and you feel a certain amount of peace. Not really surprising. But there's more to this survey than just annual salary. According to the survey, inflation, high interest rates, and student loans are weighing on Americans' financial security. Uh, Having the comfort to spend money on everyday items can boost the feeling of financial happiness. For instance, let's go back to the millennials who, and I get it, millennials are in that age group right now where they're like, it's time to get it. 40s on the horizon. We got to get it. This is my time to get it. You know, and they're like, okay. So they want to make $525,000 to feel happy. But millennials also said, to the tune of 62% of millennials said, they would be willing to pay $7 for a daily coffee because, you ready for this? Of the joy it brings. $7. Now, I'm going to tell you guys something in the booth. I make a pot of coffee. I'm the only one that drinks coffee in my house. I make a pot of coffee every night. I set it, and it's ready for me, and I wake up in the morning. I got a little routine, which, by the way, here's another bonus life hack that you didn't come to the show for today, but you're going to thank me. If you keep your house cool, and in the wintertime, no matter what you keep the heat on, your coffee mug will be cool in the morning. If you would like your coffee to stay hotter, I got a little tip for you. You... Fill the mug up with water, and you put it in the microwave for a minute, or if you really want it to be hot, two minutes, and then dump the water out, pour your coffee in, and watch how warm your coffee stays. Bob, have you done this before? Yeah. Bob, he's a renaissance man. This is a life hack that changed my life. But I get up every morning, and I, I've got a pot of coffee waiting on me. I don't need to buy a cup of coffee to feel happy. But the reason I'm having a little fun with this is, is to give you what's behind the data. If millennials say that spending $7 a day for a cup of coffee makes them happy, then it it tells us more. They want to make more just so they can spend more. That's the issue. And here's what the boomers know And Gen X, no, because watch the data. It skews as you get older. People say, I need less money to be happy. Why? Because they've learned the art, and this is an art form, of keeping more money. But younger people, by the way, this will always be the case when you do a study like this. So here's the whole point of it. It's not how much money you make that will give you happiness. It's how much money you keep that will give you happiness. That is the game changer. And I think it's important that you have that mental shift because the amount of people that make $500,000 in this country is extremely low, extremely low. Yet millennials say, I make $500,000, well, then I'm going to be happy. Well, are you? Are you going to be happy? I don't know. I don't think it's about the $7 coffee. I think it's about the freedom to spend because you have more. This is The Ken Coleman Show. All right, 2024 is woo, almost upon us. Can you believe that? Where did the year go? I sound like my dad. 
That's how it goes. Uh, so I thought this would be fun. U.S. News uh, and World Report uh, came out with a, uh, uh, a workplace trends for 2024, and I want to cover some of these uh, because I think this is, this is really, really interesting. Uh, so I'm going to walk through these and uh, we'll discuss. So one is the return to office battle will continue. Now, I don't know how much of a battle this is in the real world because if you look at the numbers, we are back to pre-pandemic levels of people who are working remote. In other words, the amount of people working remote has shrunk tremendously back to what remote work looked like pre-COVID. So that's, that is interesting in and of itself. Now, that means when I give you those numbers, that is full remote. There are a lot of people, millions and millions and millions of people working remotely, but it is of a hybrid nature. So they're working remotely some of the week and some of the week they're in the office. That has been the battle that has been waged over the last two years. Very publicly, by the way, with some big technology companies in particular saying, all right, you got to come back to work. But even then, it is a hybrid model, which I've said before, I'll say it again, that is the model that is going to be the dominant model uh, in the world of work. You're going to have uh, a whole lot less companies that are full-time in the office. That's just the reality of where it's going. Uh, so uh, having said that, uh, there still will be tension, according to uh, uh, this article and some of the experts uh, that are looking at the trends, because a lot of people uh, don't even want to do the hybrid. And so there will be tension. We want to get you back in, uh, but companies don't necessarily want to fire somebody over it. So employees do have some leverage. That tension is going to be there. Second trend, flexibility will continue to be a driving advantage for companies that are willing to be flexible with their employees in a variety of areas, but certainly schedules. Um, industries and roles that have no option for hybrid um, will still offer more flexibility uh, because they want to pull in some people that have been on the sidelines going, I don't want to work full-time in the office, but I'll work part-time. So now all of a sudden it helps companies with their talent base. Three, the five-day work week may die. This is a bold prediction. I'm not willing to say that this is going to happen this quickly. Um, because I think if you look at a statement like that, that's a pretty bold statement. I do think the four-day work week is here on some level, and it's going to be a real issue. But if you look at today's current five-day work week model, like there's a lot of flexibility baked in. And if you look at an eight-hour day, and you go, are people working five eight-hour days? Or are they working that same amount of block of hours over a different period of time? And I think that's happening more and more and more. So I don't know that it's going to be this just big jarring. Uh, in 2024, nobody works five days a week. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think the four-day work week is going to stick. Four, the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation is going to shift largely because of the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. A pretty big statement by the Supreme Court. And presumably, justices come in and come out. But will this get overturned anytime soon? I don't think so. So with the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action, 
Now it, the conversation with a lot of companies is less about equity and inclusion, and it's more on inclusion. It's less equity and more inclusion. Why? Well, this is a statement in the article from um, one of the experts that they uh, quote, and uh, she says, when you force diversity, it is manufactured and it doesn't stick. Instead, companies should lead with inclusion, creating uh, an environment where you attract all types of people. And I completely agree. Um, so the DEI conversation is going to change a little bit. Five, wage pressures will continue to subside. We're already seeing this. Uh, so what do I mean by wage pressures? So when you raise salaries, hourly rates, all of that, then it puts pressures on companies to go, what are we going to do? This is an increased cost for us. Are we going to pass it on to our customer? That's one option, which most of them do. Or we take a hit in the profit department. Companies are in business for profit. This is how you get inflation. Very simple stuff. So what does this mean that wage pressures will continue to subside? Again, I'm seeing this already in the news. Uh, You're going to see employers shift away from things like signing or retention bonuses, Uh, as well as significant compensation increases for new hires. So this is what was interesting coming out of the pandemic, and it caused a lot of tension in the workplace, which then kicked off the great resignation where millions of people were leaving jobs. So here's what happened. Companies needed to hire talent, and so they would hire somebody new, pay them significantly more than the people who were doing the same job. And it doesn't, that kind of stuff has a high rate of revealing itself. You know, and so we would get calls in the show. Hey, Kim, what do I do? I've been working this company 10 years. And they just hired somebody way less experienced than me. And I found out they make more than me. Well, and my advice would be, that sucks. Wish you didn't know that because it's cancer. Uh, it's not about you. It's about them. Companies had to pay. It's the market pressure. So anyway, wage pressures will subside. So you're going to see less pay bumps. And as a result, you'll see less people leaving. That leads to then the sixth trend. And I think this is absolutely right. Workers are going to prioritize stability. Uh, what does that mean? That means they want to they want to stay at companies that are stable. They want to if they're going to leave, they're going to leave to a company that's very stable, has a track record for winning, their balance sheet is strong. Workers are going to say, I don't want to just chase a salary anymore. I want stability. I think that's going to be a big trend. Uh, so uh, and then finally, this is a very interesting trend if this comes true. If this comes true, retirees will return to the workplace. Uh, Another quote from one of the experts in this. Retirees will return to achieve financial goals, social engagement, fulfillment of a personal passion, and more mental stimulation to enrich their lives. We expect peak 65. This is the phenomenon where Americans will turn age 65 more than any other time in recorded history, to take place in 2024. Folks, that's a big deal. So in 2024, more people will turn 65 than any other time in history. A lot of these stepped out of the workforce when COVID hit because they could. But maybe they didn't have a final chapter plan. Maybe they didn't have as much money. It didn't go as far because of inflation. Maybe they're just bored out of their mind. So what's going to happen is 
is you're going to have more 65-year-olds return to the marketplace. Now, what does that mean? I want to spend a little bit of time on this. I don't have time, but I don't have a lot of time, but I want to cover this. Here's what's going to happen. Do I believe that ageism exists? 100% it does. But if the right leaders in the right companies go, wait a second, I could take a 65-year-old who's healthy, who's got a lot of experience, a lot of skill, and a lot of character, and I can put them into the workforce, and I can have them mentor these younger generations, I'm getting double, double the benefit of a great hire. And here's why. Skills there. Experience is there. That Okay, boom, great. Skill and experience, every employee needs that. But the locker room, the locker room component, they help in the locker room. They're good culture people. They set the tone. They put their arm around the youngsters, if you will, and encourage them and equip them. I'm telling you, if I'm a leader and I've got a management position that is open and I can't fill it, I'm going to go find me a 65-year-old and go, hey, I need you to come in and throw your experience and your wisdom, not just your skill. Put your shoulder to this. Here's what we know. Gen Z is saying, I want to be mentored at work. I want to be mentored. We've got a bunch of 65-year-olds who are bored and need to do something fun. Leaders, this is a massive opportunity. All right, this is the Ken Coleman Show. Remember, you matter. You have what it takes. Press on. Thanks for listening to the Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.